Hold the Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. <laughs> sure. I almost forgot who I was. Yeah, totally. And dude, I'm on the third day of my fast and I'm like, uh, it's the rain, man. The rain is fucking with us. That in the rain, yes. You could have used some rain in this movie. <laughs> yes. It was very dry. Well, what do you want, dude? It's February. It's a desert time. Wasn't I mean, yeah. I don't know. I guess sure. it could have had rain. Sure. Well, no, yeah. I'm just saying that my it made my eyes hurt <laughs> like at times. I needed eye drops. Dude, it was a well, you know, it's it's funny because he does okay. So obviously you're reading today we have uh, Last Man Standing from Walter Hill from 1996. Walter Hill. Uh, if you think about what you're referring to, he's he does it a lot. He does it in in Extreme Prejudice, and he does it big time in another 48 hours. That whole yeah, just blown out your fucking eyeballs with light out of nowhere from going from darkness. Like when <laughs> yeah, wait, you watch those movies and you'll see what I'm talking about. But Last Man Standing is Walter's dive into not, I don't want to say remaking you a Jimbo, because even he didn't say it was so much a remake as a retelling of the story as opposed to. Yeah. Eh. Right. Because he thought, he thought remaking Kurosawa was such an absurd, absurd notion. I mean, it's based on a, it's based on a Dashiell Hammett novel, Red right. Harvest. So, right. I mean, you know, people are going to call it what they, here's the thing. People were going to call it what they're most familiar with, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. and in Hollywood, nobody reads fucking books. <laughs> and there was a time. <laughs> but we will tell you what movie, yes, there was a time when, yes, things were taken from novels and, uh, you know, but. Um, and there was a not there now. was a time Hollywood that where they were really big on pilfering from Kurosawa and yeah. make it into their own. Oh, totally. Star Wars, all of it. Yeah, you name it. And it's been lifted from. That's the irony of the uh, of this series of movies being based on the Red Harvest book and what was, <laughs> what did Lucas affectionately call the working title for Star Wars? Uh, Blue Harvest. Blue Harvest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. So we got Bruce Willis just stanking up the screen in a good way in the 90s. In, stank. Uh, like, stank. Like not stink. Stank. <laughs> stank. Said pre-mic, said it in text form. This might be a top five Bruce performance for me. And well, I should we put a caveat on that. There's something about his performance in the third act that doesn't gel with the rest of the movie. You know, you know when he gets that he gets very McLean towards the end. Yeah, I was gonna say, dude, I feel like the whole third act was a reshoot. Yeah, because when he's shooting his gun, when he's all fucked up and he's shooting his gun, you know how when Bruce got super dangerous situations in the first Die Hard, not the other ones where he's all superhuman, but the first one where he has that look of like, you know, when that moment where he's trying to get the the fire hose off of him while he's about to get dragged out of the window at Nakatomi, he makes that face when he's just unloading his his uh, 1911s in this movie, which looks great, by the way. I love the fact that he uses 1911s. Like, right. Like a, I just love it. It's so good. But yeah, he's so good in it, and he delivers a performance that is not unlike some of the best stuff he's ever done. But then it doesn't, like you said, it is as part of the reshoots because it definitely feels quite different from what he was given in, earlier in the movie. Yeah, the whole third act, I mean, the, you know, the third act just goes off the rails. But again, it, like I said, and I'll say it now, <laughs> this is the most Walter Hill movie Walter Hill ever made. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and so, yeah, dude, the ending just goes fucking full on. 
not unlike extreme the end of extreme prejudice which you know literally borrows the end of the wild bunch but this movie it like just when you think oh fuck dude it's like it just keeps going and gets bigger and you know every, right. i mean I, I think every fucking everyone in this movie except with a few exceptions uh of dern and william sanderson they're dead at the end of the movie yeah sorry if i spoiled it for you yes but i mean you should know going in if you've seen either of the other movies. There's some people are going to die. Yeah, that, that that sequence that you're talking about, where uh, Bruce signs on to work for Doyle and he gives him the thousand bucks, and you know, right. and he rolls out and, and you know, and he literally shoot. Now, who are all those guys, dude? Who are all those guys? Yeah. Are, are those are those uh, are those Strassi's guys? Or I mean, I was confused by who the fuck those guys. When he means when he goes out to the house to get the yes. girl. Are those Strassi's guys? I mean, there's there's plenty of points of confusion. Like, there's a point where they they've done a swap, right? The girl for Imperioli, and then and then later on, they're Doyle's guys. Yeah, they are Doyle's guys. Yeah, because when they because when he's waiting for Doyle and when Doyle and oh right, because he tells him that he should go out. Oh yeah, and there's, yeah. they're going to make a hit on your guys or whatever they've hired, yeah. whatever they said. Yeah. Yeah. There's some confusing shit in this movie, like back and forth. Like after they swap Imperioli and the girl, and then yeah. we see Imperioli is captured again, or the girl is captured again. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? There's there's some very bizarre edits, which maybe they just said fuck it, left it and didn't care. Yeah. But that, there were <laughs> points where I was like, Did I fall asleep? Yeah. What 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 just happened? I thought I thought they just made a swap for these guys and and Bruce kicked Imperioli's ass in the street. Yeah, the, I mean, the setup for the movie is just like with the other movies <laughs> that we've already uh, talked about. The stranger comes into town that is being, that's has a, there's just two crime families are having a fight over <laughs> territory. Just, just whatever the, they mean, fight over. Whatever, whatever they fight over. Yeah, you you've got an Italian mob and you got an Irish mob in the middle of the desert in Texas. This is a, this is probably a depression era. Texas? Is it Texas? Yeah, yeah Texas, it's Texas, right? Because yeah. the, the famous line at the end. Yes. <laughs> That's how you know it's Texas. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not going to say the line. I'm not going to say the line because it really is a great closer. And, and, and this tells you how broken our, uh, for me anyway, how broken my viewing of movies is because I'm going, is he going to let him really walk away? Because I don't remember. Well, look, after everything else that had transpired over the first, uh, you know, hour and 40 minutes or hour and 35 minutes, right. uh, there was no way that, you know, I, I knew nobody was walking out of this. Yeah. Pretty hilarious. Yeah. So Bruce being this guy comes into town and basically puts these two gangs together. And in this case, one's being run by David Patrick Kelly on the Irish side. And on the other side is, is uh, Ned Eisenberg. Yeah, playing Strazi. Playing Strazi. Okay, I'm not going to make what some would consider a derogatory statement, but I've seen Ned Eisenberg in so many other things, and him playing this Italian mob boss doesn't work for me. And and it's not the fact that he's Jewish. There's nothing to do with that. I've just seen him play too many of the parts where it doesn't work. Everybody else in the movie is, oh, yeah, I buy the fact that you are on the wrong side of the law. I'm okay with that. I've seen you on the wrong side of the law plenty of times and plenty of things. But with this, he just, 
I don't know, man. Yeah, he he just rings false. Uh, he, his yeah. uh, also, I feel like he uh, his the extent of his being a badass mob boss. He just yells a lot. Yes, everybody yells a lot in, in yeah. these two mobs. There's a lot of yelling going on apparently yeah. in mm-hmm. Texas in the 30s. I mean, who else do we have in this movie? Let, let's 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 blow through the cast because it's a good yes. one. It's super no, it, good. It, it, I mean, ignore the fact that look. There's nothing wrong with Ben Eisenberg. He's a wonderful actor. He's just out. Of, this doesn't. He's out of place here. It's kind of miscast, yeah, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, it's like it's hard for me. Like with all the other, you know, this type of movie, you know, mob bosses. You know, my, yeah. in, what's imprinted in my brain. Mm-hmm. But we got we get Bruce Dern yep. as a sheriff Galt, yep. who's kind of a scumbag, but is he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, he just kind of lets these guys not, not kind of run roughshod, but you know when uh, when Smith shows up, he ain't opposed to like you know him like maybe let's see how this plays out because maybe he's going to do me a favor, right? Right. Uh, then we got William Sanderson, who's always awesome as Joe Monday. Yep. You know we got Chris Walken as Hickey, the hot-tempered Tommy Gun toting <laughs> sidekick to David <laughs> Kelly's Doyle. Uh, we got Karina Lombard, who is, uh, you know, a Catherine Zeta-Jones lookalike, um, yep. who the only thing I could remember from... She's apparently mutinous, too. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I don't think she has one line, weirdly enough. I mean, there's lots of beauty shots over there, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, she plays Felina, which is Doyle's girl, which kind of, you know, kind of, if you're familiar with Yajimbo and for a few dollars more, you you, you know the character. Yeah. You know, like we said, Ned Eisenberg as Strazzi, uh, Alexander Powers as Lucy Kalinsky, the mm-hmm. poor doomed prostitute, Michael Imperioli in a very early role, like, you know, when he looks like he's just out of college, maybe. Or he looks like Wait. a baby. Uh, and then the, the lovely, wonderful character actor, Artie Call, who's in a lot of, uh, who's in a bunch of Walter's movies, uh, who right. passed away a couple of years ago. Ted Marklin is Deputy Bob. And dude, this is the craziest thing. I had to stop and like look at the thing. Then I had to open IMDb and look at Leslie Mann me. shows up in this movie, dude. Yes. And dude, she's got a single card at the in the yes. beginning. I'm like, I don't know I her being in this somehow. at all. Somehow I missed it. Yeah. Like most of Walter Hill's, you know, you, you, you know these faces. Lynn Shay shows up in the movie. Alan Graff as the convoy yeah. driver, our buddy, Alan. Um, but I mean, again, it's just loaded with, the, you know, this cast. They've been in all these kind of movies. And, and, yeah. and, and this movie, I don't know why, it, you know, it didn't catch fire in 96. But, you know, I don't know, man. Maybe uh, maybe times were changing. Uh, and this is definitely, <laughs> the, like I said, the most Walter Hill movie ever. Uh, so yeah. maybe it's 10 years too late. You know, like we like we said about, what was it a couple weeks ago? We said it was 10 years too late or 10 years too early. Oh, it was a Flashpoint. Yeah, Flashpoint. Exactly. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't even, it was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of like Flashpoint, right? Like yeah. this movie is probably 10 years too late. Like if this came out in 86, 87, you right. know, even 90, uh, maybe it's a different story. I mean, we, we've covered, how many Walter Hills movies have we covered now? We covered this, we covered Johnny Handsome. Three? Crossroads. This is three. So this is just this third one? Yeah, it seems like we've yeah. done more. Because we just, I guess it's because we had Alan and we talked about everything. We talked about them. everything, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like if this would have come out around the same time as, you know, like uh, Johnny Handsome and uh, what was his other movie that came out in 89, 90? You know, there was, it was literally right on the heels of Johnny Handsome. But I mean, I feel like if it came out 10 years earlier, this is a bigger hit and we're having a different conversation. You know, 
this is a different movie that more people have seen. Because I feel like, you know, when you talk to certain people, like anybody who's a Walter Hill fan has seen this movie and it's talked about a lot. But outside of that, like it's not mentioned like the out, like uh, the Warriors or 48 Hours, you know, the bigger hits of Walter Hill. And right. I, I think it's just as good as any of them. What you think about like about trespass or something like that? Yes, trespass. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Trespass, um, but like you know what I mean. Like this movie, if it would have come out in that time, I mean, who knows? But um, it's weird that this movie didn't because Bruce was huge at the time. Right. Um, walking, you know, everybody coming off, you know, those two guys coming out of Pulp Fiction. I mean, yeah. Walking sort of had a rebirth in his career oh, at that yeah. point. Um, yeah. You know, David Patrick Kelly, who's always solid. You know, we talked about him in lots of things, Dreamscape. 48 Hours, Commando. You, you've seen him a ton. Right. You know, he's an actor whose face was all over the 1980s. Um, and William Sanderson, who's probably most notable. Yeah, now you, you'll have to you'll have to weigh in here. Is it Blade Runner or my cousin Daryl? <laughs> my <laughs> cousin Daryl. My brother Daryl. My other brother Daryl. I think for the exposure for most of America probably was New Heart. <laughs> you know, yeah, playing. for sure. I, that's the only that's the only thing I can really think of. I mean, I know him well from other stuff, but yeah. Well, I mean, but, uh, dude, he, you know, a couple years later, you know, he's reunited with Hill as E.B. Farnham in the Deadwood pilot, and then he, you know, he's yeah. on Deadwood for three seasons. Yeah, I mean, he dude, he's great, and he's always, you know, I've always liked him. Even going back, I mean, he's in Flash. He's in a ton of stuff. Um, you know, walking is hot. Karina Lombard had just come off of probably, I guess, Legends of the Fall, maybe was the only thing I could remember her in. Yeah, yeah. Well, like a couple of years. It was like 94. Was that right? 94? Yeah, I think so. 94. That sounds yeah. right. Yep. Imperioli, this is, you know, uh, for me, like, what, what was he in around the same time as it? I mean, everybody knows him as Spider <laughs> from Goodfellas, right? right? That's where he started. And, you know, I feel like there's a bunch of movies that I'm not thinking of that he was in between Goodfellas. Yeah, well, Spike used him a lot. He used yeah. him in Jungle Fever. He used him in Malcolm right. X. He, like, even before The Sopranos, he had a pretty heavy-duty filmography. Absolutely. You know, we talked about during pre Dead, Dead Presidents, Presidents, too. Yep. Yeah. He's in Summer of Sam. He's in a ton of stuff. So it's funny because, you know, the, the cast is, and the cast is, is, the cast, everybody's doing their, you know, everybody's doing their lifting. Nobody's, you know, nobody's slacking off. No, the the film is shot like a, it's so weird. Like it's a big dusty nightmare. <laughs> like night, like not nightmare. It's a big yeah. dusty sort of. I felt like at points, you know, you're watching this dream. Like if there's that point between life and death, maybe that's where this movie's taking place. I'm not really sure, right? Because that that opening sequence, that opening uh, is that voiceover when he's driving in town is beautifully shot. Beautifully yeah. shot. Gorgeous. Yeah, there's nothing about this movie that, you know, isn't top of the line. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know. I don't know where it went wrong, but fuck, man. I mean, I'm glad we got to enjoy it. That's for sure. I mean, Lloyd Ahern shot this, right? Yeah. Yeah. According to Tubi, this movie is standard def. Well, it kept the aspect ratio proper the whole way. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, I have the Blu-ray. I just, again, I, I watched most of the movie when I wasn't near Blu-ray players. So I could, that's so, you know, I bought it just, I didn't buy it just for that because I just realized, I'm like, oh, this is a Walter Hill movie I don't own. So I better pick that up. And what they have on Tubi is, once again, I just think it's being falsely represented. It, it looks fucking great. 
And it's definitely cleaned up. So it's quite possible that if this is standard def, it's being struck off that master that shout created because it's fucking clean, dude. It's really yeah, no, good. dude. It looked. I mean, I don't remember it looking that good the last time I yeah. watched it because I, I mean, I yeah. have the DVD of it, which actually doesn't look terrible either. But still, the stream I, I ended up watching because I watched it twice. I watched it the first time. I watched the DVD because I didn't realize it was on Tubi. And then when you said it was on Tubi, I watched it again the other day. Yeah, uh, on Sunday, dude. You mentioned DVD. Like, let's talk about this for a moment. I love the original poster for it. It's perfect. Yep. You get the gangs underneath where it says last man. Hey, Bruce is right above last man and right below his name. Why did they fucking change it for VHS and DVD release? I don't fucking get it because yeah. it made me some of the worst art I've ever seen. It's terrible. It's really bad. It's like, what is wrong with the orange one sheet? It's fucking great. What I mean, when you've used, and I'll put them, if you look at the show notes on Patreon, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'll put them in there. It's this, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fucking perfectly fine. And I don't, I just can't figure out why they wanted to, felt the need to change it because what they, <laughs> what it got turned into is silly. Cause Bruce is your guy. He's, you, it says big, bold letters right above his head, Bruce Willis. What do they do? Well, this is pre-Photoshop. Well, not, I'm not say pre-Photoshop, but not where Photoshop was being used extensively during this art. This is still traditional cutting out faces with photographs with the, with the X-Acto knife kind of, you know, printing process. And his face does not look proper on that body at all. It's just, it's clearly not from, there's two different elements being put together and it fucking looks terrible. So... Yeah, anyway. it's the, the DVD cover's terrible. It, it really makes it look like a low budget like affair. Like the DVD, when I bought it, I was like, eh. and then I was like, oh, it is New Line. It looked like it was. <laughs> I thought for sure it was like some you know fly by night uh, good times video <laughs> or some bullshit because right. that's some bad. That's some bad. Uh, some bad art. Just saying. Fortunately, though, when Shout put out the release, and again, here's the thing: this this thing just came out last last month. Actually, last month, two months ago, back in uh, the day after Christmas, it came out. They went back to the original poster. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean that that the the one that looks like yes, that looks like they put someone. I don't know why. And why would they do it? Why wouldn't they just take a still from the movie? I'm looking at it now, and it's it's pretty know. dreadful. Yeah, and, and you you are the company to put the movie out. So why would you change it? It looks less like Bruce, and that's your selling point on the fucking thing. So right. There's a definitely a point where if they wanted to show him showing off him shooting both 1911s at once, which is, you know, his common thing in the movie. He rarely shoots single-handed like this, like on the original poster, but whatever. Is that really the reason why you would change it? I don't know, dude. It's fucking dumb. Uh, anyway, the all that silly shit aside, the movie plays like, you know, it's, it's the most, probably the most Walter Hill, Walter Hill movie. And there are times in it where... It feels like you can tell where the reshoots are, like we mentioned, where Bruce feels, Bruce's performance feels very different from what he has given the first, you know, 90 minutes of the movie. But everybody, I want to, get, I want to like point on some of the, the supporting guys. We've already named them all, but my favorite scenes for the movie, any kind of interaction, obviously with Sanderson and Willis because they're fucking great together. But seriously, the great tense moments that you have with Bruce and walking and their scenes together are so good. If if there was one thing that would have me clamoring for was more of that. And 
he, you noted that some of the guys in the movie on both sides in both gangs do things that aren't exactly make a lot of sense. Yeah, they do a lot of stupid shit, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm shocked they lived as long as they did because um, there's some dumb shit happening. Just said, you know, I'm like, really? That just happened? Wait, wait a second. You know, yeah. you're going to. Um, yeah. As, as the movie looks, I mean, it. I mean, again, it is Depression Era Texas, and that's why you. I mean, you you're just on the outskirts of what was considered a Western movie, so that's why I mean, that's why I feel like this is more of like I, I feel like Walter took more from Fistful than than Yo Jimbo, and then yeah, obviously not just the location, but just the vibe of it. And by the way, since we're doing February February buried, and it's all about our <laughs> desert style movies, as you know, this is the most desert. Dude, the form like it took me two days to spit the fucking sand out of my mouth after yeah, watching you, it. You feel it the entire time you're watching the movie. You're just like going, "Hey, man, how come all these guys are walking around without any kind of mouth coverings or any fucking eyeglasses?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know they weren't fashionable for gangsters in the '30s, but god damn it, dude, everything is like shot in a sandstorm. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's funny. My like what my other biggest complaint about the movie was. Taking it, and if it's taking it from Yojimbo, the thing that is missing from this is a sense of humor. Like, yeah, I know Bruce was trying not to be McLean, but you know, if you watch Eastwood, I mean, there's always a little nod and a wink, and you know, yeah. there's, there's that moment where Eastwood delivers his line and, and he holds on for just a second. That you know, that none of that's happening. Everyone is so goddamn mad in this movie, but again, that's fine because it, it is what it is. But you know, for me, like, I'm just like, eh, you know. Maybe it's just I was longing for a little bit of that, you know, wise ass Bruce Willis bit. Yeah, you know? but how much is too much? I guess you know. And he- I get that. I, I I mean, one of the things that I had heard before, and then I'm going through post watching the movie and being reminded of it again, was Walter's own words. Where when I got together, with Bruce, we didn't have, you know, we weren't buddy buddy on set. He told me. He said to me. He said to me, "You, you want me to be a bogey." kind of guy, you know, Robert Mitchum type, because yeah, just let it happen. And to me, that's what he does. And so yeah, like, but even Robert Mitchum had a sense of humor about shit. If you watch Robert Mitchum, <laughs> movie. maybe Bruce should have watched some Robert Mitchum movies. No, I know, but, 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 but the thing is, is like, was there any levity to be given there? Was there any kind of, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. know if there's any, just, I just, cause I think the comedy is coming from how stupid the fucking dudes in the gangs are. Yeah, I know, but is that the, is that was that? I wonder if that was the intended. Uh, anyway, well, uh, that's just my that's my small complaint about the movie. That's all. It definitely is shy that it's always been present in all of his movies. Hell, even dude, extreme prejudice. Even, even Warriors has it. You know, yeah, so, dude, all of them. Yeah. Forty Eight Hours, Streets yeah. of Fire, Johnny Handsome. I don't know. It's it's just like it, it's like I don't know. I, I, I my question for you is. I wonder what, do you think it was fun on set? Because <laughs> it doesn't look like it was. No. <laughs> Unless they're blowing shit up or shooting people. Nobody no. was having a good time. Yeah. There's there's times in the movie, this is how, well, this is how <laughs> effective the sandstorms are in this. How much of it is man-made and how much of it is just them fucking fighting the elements where they're shooting? Uh, you know, I'm sure it's probably, they probably had to have fans to match because I'm sure it was fucking windy as shit, dude. They probably picked some godforsaken corner of fucking Texas or Oklahoma or wherever they shot this. Yeah. I've shot in New Mexico and dude, there are times like literally when we, we were dressing the compound, we were getting the set ready for, um, 
Terminator Salvation, the compound where uh, he escapes. And dude, every day we had to have eye protection and fucking full wraps around our mouths. I mean, every day just to work. So, you know, imagine setting up a camera and lighting and that shit. So we're looking at, um, uh, yeah, they're at Cerro Palin in New Mexico. Uh, El Paso, they shot it up here at Santa Cruz, which I'm guessing it was over at the... Oh, they probably shot out at, uh, what do you call it? At the ranch. Yeah. And Mescal, Arizona. And they also, oh, here it is. Bella Zoot Motion Picture Ranch in Saugus. There you go. That's yeah, how they did shoot Ranch. Mm-hmm. So Santa Cruz, probably maybe these shots on some stuff on stage there, I guess. Some, uh, probably some of the interiors, because I think they built, like, I think Walter, if I'm not wrong, I think that they had built the village for Extreme Prejudice was built there. Yeah. And it, and it, and it might still be there. Yeah, no, it, it is, because it's, it's part of the tour. I saw it, I saw them pushing for it recently in Santa Cruz Magazine. <laughs> oh, Nice. So, I, I, unfortunately, I, I think I mentioned that on a Kickstart once, but there was no uh, online version of it, so I couldn't share it. Obviously, if you're shooting at, you know, Saugus or Santa Clarita or even Santa Cruz, probably then probably on stage. But El Paso, New Mexico, yeah, those are all movie ranches, so you got more, much more controlled environment just in being out in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah, you're probably right. It was probably all man-made, but still, like you noted, it. I don't know if it's just the, the set that Walter created, but... They, yeah, it doesn't look like any people are having a lot of fun on the movie because it was just straight ahead, like a straight ahead movie, right? Good yeah. guys, bad guys, and apparently both bad sets of bad guys aren't too bright. Right, they're not bright at all. <laughs> no, there was in there. Can I, I want to talk specifically to? Well, actually, you know, come to think of it, when you look at the two the heads of both gangs, right? You got Strazzi and you got Doyle. Both guys seem to not have a fucking handle on either one of their guys, any one of their groups. Right, exactly. They blindly follow him, but you never feel like they are in control. No, I always felt like if Willis didn't kill Doyle and Strozzi, somebody within would have killed them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it just yeah. seems like, like... You mean like like Hickey standing up with his Tommy gun? <laughs> right. Yeah, like when Hickey fires in the room and doesn't magically doesn't kill anyone. <laughs> The scene where, you know, at the end where Doyle's, we, we can go find her. And I'm just like, hmm, uh-huh. Dude. Nah. I, I, nah. Yeah. That, let's talk about that for a moment. When he's sitting there, when he's sitting, when, when Bruce is sitting at this place and they show up and say, I want you to come work for me again for the fifth time. You're right. Come to Mexico with me and help me find her. She's still alive, right? She was in, and they start talking about this village and that she had a daughter. I'm like. All right, dude. I'm like, I, I, I don't understand. No. I don't understand it. And all that came after they just gave him the beating of his life. Right. <laughs> right. And we're trying to kill him because they he right. double-crossed them and they know it. But I mean, I yeah. guess, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Not very smart criminals. I felt like like he fucked him over like three times, both sides. Like it, it was, And they just kept going, going right back to the well. Like, hey, right. what was different before this guy came into town? Hmm. I mean, there was never a moment. Not I'm not guys I would want to follow blindly. Like, fuck you, Doyle. Well, fuck you, Strauss. Yeah. Hey, by the way, and Deputy Bob, right? Deputy Bob is going to, he's like chattering to, to Doyle constantly, right? And, and Strauss, both. Like, he's like feeding them information. So, I mean, because Bruce is playing him too. Play, Bruce is intentionally telling him. It, yes. When Bruce isn't telling Strauss and Doyle directly to their faces some bullshit, yeah, he's telling he's using, Deputy he's Bob. Using, yeah, he's using Deputy Bob to handle the 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 pigeon work. You know, it's, it's so fucking weird, dude, how that yeah. happens. 
that's weird. And you know what else is weird is Captain Tom Pickett. Like, right? Like, he gives this yeah. big speech. And does he ever even come back? No, because Jenkins just shows up. <laughs> oh, fucking, he's so great in it, dude. But I'm like, oh, fucking Jenkins is in this movie. Fucking rad. Yeah, I yeah. Know. It, he's he's great in it. I'm like, no, but he never comes back. Right. But, but like, there's but, all this, like, I'm going to be back in three days. And, 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 with, and with all these guys. And then what was funny is, who was it that says, oh, yeah, he's not lying. <laughs> there's 20 guys coming. Who the fuck was that? Oh, wait, it's just one of those, you know, it was one of those, it was one of what those. One of Doyle's guys that didn't get murdered. One of Doyle's guys who was dumb. Was It wasn't McCool, right? Because McCool, yeah, was it? No, it wasn't McCool because McCool gets murdered out there in the house. Yeah, because, yeah, because, yeah, because he comes in after Finn gets gets killed. Right. Right, you know, Pat, uh, Patrick Kilpatrick's character in the beginning. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because McCool ends up replacing him because he, he's as he's his heavy. But... No, it's like somebody goes, oh yeah, he's not lying because it's after it's after they shot up Doyle's place, right? right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes, oh yeah, I got word back, and because now you're not going, wait, does he know that, or does he know that Bruce is fucking him over, and he's just kind of covering for it? I don't know. It's it's knowing there's a three hour assemble edit for this. Is there is there stuff that's not left in the movie that oh, we're dude, missing? I, no, I'm I'm convinced. Like I told you, like that weird swap out thing where, and then they go right back into saying, "Hey, you got to give him back." And I'm like, "Wait, wait, they just gave him back." I feel like there's a lot of this movie missing. Like right. somewhere, you know, I'd like to see Walter pull a Francis Ford Coppola and just give us a three hour reassemble of uh, Last Man Standing. I mean, it's 101 minutes. It wasn't like you couldn't have given no, us short. I mean, yeah, for especially for Walter, it's sure. I mean, he usually flounders around the one forty-seven to one fifty-five area, and th- it surprises me. You wonder if it's New Line because New Line yeah, was always it like, seems like hey. I feel like new, like again, New Line was trying to go in a different direction, right? Weren't they like? Right. I feel like at that point, you know, they were making things like Final Destination and Nightmare on Elm Street. Then you know the whatever the final nightmare or whatever the fuck it was. No, the well they haven't done they haven't done, yeah because they're still doing the nightmare stuff. They haven't really got they haven't really got but they're starting to pivot in the and they're trying to mimic what Miramax was doing. Yeah, totally. I mean, I yeah. think and maybe this movie just you know someone said no, it's too long. Uh, we don't need all this. You know, I don't know. It, it feels like somebody you know at a studio got involved and maybe hacked a bunch of stuff that shouldn't have been hacked because there are like I have a lot of questions as much as I like the movie I just I still have a lot of questions and I think I enjoy the movie because it's just so fucking crazy and outrageous and yeah. it, again like you know it's it's all the things I love in a movie even if it doesn't make fucking sense right. I don't really care at the end of the day because I mean I know how the story ends and we all kind of know what's going to happen there, there are there's a lot of pieces it feel there's some there's some abrupt shifts and things and you're like where the fuck what are they what what yeah I think I've said this affectionately a couple of times in the, throughout the run of this show is there when you're talking about somebody's work who we greatly appreciate, whether it's a director or a writer or a performer, it's like, you know, bottom line is even his least, uh, in least desirable movie is still pizza and it's still good pizza and it's still edible. I, and it's still, I mean, bottom line, it's still fucking Walter Hill and it's it's better than most. His quote unquote worst, and I'm using bigger quotes here because I don't, he doesn't make a bad, he doesn't make bad movies. This is not a bad movie. It's just some questionable things where like knowing Walter Hill's filmography, you can feel the fingerprints of interference happening. Yeah, like in, totally. Like there, there's some, you know, again, for being the most Walter Hill movie he's ever yeah. made, it's also, <laughs> there, you know, there's a lot of things you're like, well, you know, which probably 
stink of like, you know, whoever was in charge of New Line at that point. Yeah. Getting involved and I don't know. But again, I don't have any problem watching it because again, it it moves at a brisk clip. You're never really bored. There's never, I don't feel like I'm ever getting too much. That's for sure. Because I cut all that out. There's, I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue. I feel like there's a lot of Bruce Dern stuff maybe that's not in the movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because his turn as, as, as a Sheriff Galt seems like there's some pieces missing. I mean, it's good. And I kind of like what Dern, I, I like the scenes between Willis and Dern too. I right. mean, I don't know if those two guys got along because they're totally, <laughs> if any, if you, if you ask me, Hey, who do you think they get along with this movie? I, off the top of my head, I would say probably Dern and Bruce Willis. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I feel like Dern is one of those actors. Like Dern's doing his own thing, dude. Yep. Like, <laughs> you know, he's doing that Bruce Dern sort of, you're not sure if you want to trust him. I mean, and it works for the character. And even Willis yeah. says, sometimes people surprise you and they don't turn you out to be the shit bags you think they are. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I'm paraphrasing off, obviously, because yes. I don't think he said shit bags, but no. he could have. You know, again, I feel like maybe there's some Dern stuff that's cut out. Like, you know, uh, but I, I want to talk about, and we talked about this off mic, the sort of off, the, the, if there's another piece of, miscast in here it might be walking as hickey like yeah. to me knowing that james remar was going to play hickey right is like dead on and i love walking dude uh, yeah. he's one of my favorite actors, especially like in this period of walking from like you know 90 to like 2005 or whatever i mean he's he's just made so many great movies but i mean again, he feels really weirdly miscast as hickey yeah i yeah i get what you're saying it, it's it's I, and I like we were, I think we, I can't remember if we said this on mic or not, but even if you swap out Remar for him, I still feel like Remar should have, or Walken should have been Doyle. It just, it, well, it's like, it's almost like a double miscast. Like you should have been the head as, cause he's, when you have that scene, I'm like, I'm not looking at Doyle anymore. I'm looking at that guy. I'm looking at the guy that's always draws my attention when I well, see the guy him in a movie. who's two feet taller than Doyle. <laughs> yes, far more menacing. Like I, like I, I it, that's the thing. It's kind of hard to kind of to digest, and that's why when you look at the Italian side of things of the Italian gang, that's why I feel like Eisenberg doesn't work. And yeah, just it's the same thing. Like you said, knowing Remar is in there. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like if you if you think of if Remar as Doyle, immediately I think of Remar playing Dutch Schultz in the Cotton Club. Yes, right. You know, there you go. At his snarly best. We, I mean, we've seen Remar play such just despicable people. Helen Walter Hill movies, and it's like yeah. it's the first the first forty eight hours is like Gans gets away with my money. <laughs> Gans. When you see first see Gans in the movie, he doesn't look like the kind of guy that you think is dangerous. And Remar's performance in 48 Hours made me go, all right, that guy must be a real piece of shit in real life. <laughs> Fuck, dude. I, it didn't take me long. He convinced me what a piece of garbage he was. Yeah, dude. And Remar is one of those actors, uh, you know, you can, you, you can give me Remar in every movie. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, put him in there yeah. somewhere. And also, I love David Patrick Kelly. Like I said earlier, dude, Commando, yeah. Warriors. Isn't that one of the most iconic 
things in cinema for the last hundred years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. for my take on cinema is him and the Coke bottles in the in Warriors. Yes, and, you know, and him as Luther in Forty Eight Hours. I mean, and Dreams, all those things. I I never think that David Patrick Kelly's bad, but right, he, he's not bad in the part. He's just no, he just, it's just he's weird. out of place. Yeah, it, it's just him and the him and Hickey thing is yeah, whatever. Yeah, David Patrick Kelly. He is. He was so much part of what we grew up with because every time, every third movie came out, he was in it. And he's always a standout in the movie when we we're in that VHS era of, of uh, our upbringing, dude. Right. And when he showed up as the cleaner in the first John Wick, I'm like, fuck yes. Right. And it was like, I mean, I, I was like a little girl, <laughs> like, oh my god, I was so excited, and I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? I'm like, okay, that's why. <laughs> That's why I'm excited because you don't know. Right. I mean, he's, dude, I mean, again, I mean, we could we could run off his fucking, I mean, what didn't he have a little, yeah. he wasn't, he played Paul Chambers on uh, Succession. The dude is solid always. Like, I don't want to run through his filmography because it's too, there's just too much of it. But again, you know, he's in a ton of iconic movies, not unlike Remar. Like, you know, when he shows up, you're like, oh, fuck, that guy. I fucking forgot yeah. about that guy. How did I forget about that guy? So... Yeah, man, this movie has a lot to like. It's fun, dude, and especially if you haven't seen it and you're just going in blind. Uh, I, you know, I can imagine what it must be like. I mean, I kind of remember loving this movie when I came out of the theater. I was like, "What the fuck, dude?" Because it was, it was like I said, it was, it was all over the place, and uh, it was exciting, and everything I wanted to happen happened. Bruce was like at his most Bruceness, <laughs> his Bruceiestness, you know, in a good way. Like I don't mean that bad. I mean like. You know, he was, there was a point he couldn't do anything wrong. I think I mentioned this movie made me want to watch The Jackal, which I hadn't thought about for a long time. And I'm like, God damn it. Is that another Bruce Willis performance I'm sleeping on? I don't know if I'd put this top five because there's there's some great Willis performances, but it's definitely top 10. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, I I mean, a race higher than the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Dude. (laughs) I mean, but I'm saying the top five is really crowded. If I got John McClane, Joe Hallenbach, In Country, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I mean, the, the top five is crowded, but I will give this a top, definitely a top 10. Yeah. I, we I don't count Moonlighting, right? We don't count, uh, we don't count David no, Addison. No, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. No. Because there's also a very fine line between Addison and McClane anyway. Yeah. And a little, this is, this is closer to Joe Hallenbach. <laughs> so, totally, man. I mean. Yeah. yeah, like the dude's got a, had a career that's like you know. So to pick fucking to say something's in his top ten is pretty high praise. Wait, okay, hold on. I, you heard me chuckle when I said sunset. I don't want you to think my my chuckle <laughs> was anything other than admiration. I fucking love that movie, and I don't think I've said it on the show before, but unless we did, yeah, we talked about sunset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's definitely one of those ones that I think is, again, when he was coming up between this and Blind Date, people weren't seeing his movies yet. Obviously, he people forget that he had done other movies before he did Die Hard. Yeah. And fucking, come on, dude. You, you put him and Garner together. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, dude, Blind Date. God damn it. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I feel like there's just a point where people, like, kind of, at, once we've flipped into the arts, yeah. there's a point where it just became like, mm-hmm. You know, red box, red box, red box, red box. And I feel like, you know, what sucks is that's what most people are going to remember. You know, yeah. all the terrible, those terrible. And I, I, I mean, I'm calling them terrible without having seen more than well, maybe one, one of them. I mean, <laughs> it, when you look at it in hindsight now, it's, 
you know, knowing what's going on with him personally, you have to think, is he just, was he just trying to cash in and just build up that money for the well, family? I hope so. Yeah. I, it's hard not to think that because when he started doing those kinds of movies, wait, what is this? Well, because he would get his rate. He gets a million dollars in show for a day and he'd leave. And when you're able to just print your own money like that, again, we don't know when he was officially diagnosed. We're never going to know. But you have to look at when this all kind of started, when you hear about Kevin Smith's terrible experience with him making cop out, little things like that. You look at that window of time, that's when it all started. And you have to think that, and it's hard not to, you have to think, it's hard not to think that he was already feeling the effects even maybe before he was diagnosed and he was, it was affecting who he was. Yeah, possibly. But he did so many of those movies and you're right though. Unfortunately, it's, it's going to be for a lot, for a much younger audience, they're always going to gravitate towards the things that were most current. That's what they do. So they're like, so they go and watch stuff and like, wait, why was this guy good? Why is this, why is everybody talking about this guy? Because you're looking at the wrong movies. Yeah, totally. I mean, outside, I feel like outside of Die Hard, it's it's hard. You know, there's there's yeah. some exceptions, but you know, like when people mention Bruce Willis, they mention Die Hard, and that's kind of all they know. Like younger people. Yeah, it's funny because I was working recently, and most of the guys I was working with are under forty. Yeah, they don't have any fucking film reference at all, dude. I and mean, if they do, it's weird shit like Martin Lawrence Black Knight or 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 you know stuff like that, like that they saw when they were little kids. You know, not unlike us talking about Richard Pryor and the toy, I guess. Yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> you know, you ask somebody if you've seen the Last Boy Scout, and they're like, "What? what is that? You know, it's just funny. Mm-hmm. I was working with two kids who were so young, they hadn't even seen Pulp Fiction. They knew what it was, but they'd never seen it. <laughs> My God. Well, I mean, wrap your heads around those children. It's 30 years old this year, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Get yeah. rid of it. Get into that. Anyway, but, uh, Last Man Standing. Is it, you know, it's a Walter Hill movie. That's all you need to know about it. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's it's Walter Hill. And it's got a great cast. It's got, yeah, dude, no movie is perfect. And, but if you like Walter Hill movies, and if you've ever seen the most Walter Hill of the Walter Hill movies, Last Man Standing is waiting for you. It is. Or El Timo Hombre. <laughs> is it's called in Spanish, apparently. <laughs> El Ultimo Hombre. Yeah. And you know, we, we said it briefly. We didn't kind of get lean too much in. You, just to watch Lloyd Hearn's work is just, come on, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully scored by Cooter. Yep. I mean, dude, like, again, there's nothing to not, like I said, there's nothing that's not top notch in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow it just, uh, you know, it fell through the cracks or, you know, it, it was released 10 years too late. I'm just going with that. Yep. That's it. Exactly. Second time this month where a movie just came around a little too late and didn't find its audience. And, uh, you know, this the, the fact that this movie itself is turning 28 this year is just, again, one of those things that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. Yeah, man. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. There's how we end February Buried. Yeah, man. <laughs> With the most desert of desert movies we've covered this month. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Highest body count for sure. <laughs> they didn't cheap out on the squibs. Lots of lots of yes, lots of people die in this movie. Lots more than I ever thought were in the movie. Apparently, they're, they grow them in the backyard. Apparently, guys, it's like Motel Hell because just as many show up the next scene when you just saw everybody get fucking wasted by Bruce and his double nine eleven. Guys, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God damn, there's not another person. Dude, there's no, I feel like there's nobody, this song closing, you can cut this out, but I feel like there's nobody in that town unless they're in those gangs. I still, There's like three other people that you see milling around. Like, Yeah, you get three women in the whole movie and two were prostitutes. I, see, now I need to go back and watch Fistful and watch Jimbo again, just yeah. with this fresh in my head and go, okay, where were the choices made? <laughs> where were... Oh, man. Anyway, there you go. Last man standing on TV presently and pick up that Shout Factory release that just dropped last December. Yeah. And it's good stuff out there for you. Ignore the DVD art, (laughs) as we've said. So you want to follow the show on the socials. You can follow us at Karate Pod on Twitter, Insta, and Letterboxd. If you want to follow Corey on Letterboxd, it's Corey underscore Culp. And on Instagram is Culprit97. And if you want to follow some other socials and other linkage, you can look at the bottom of our episode show notes under Karate in the Garage linkage, and you'll find everything there. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I'm at rockandroller33. If you'd like to follow me on Letterboxd, I'm at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. If you'd like to follow me at Blue Sky, it's the real John Ladd at Blue Sky. <laughs>